Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson & Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Today we're going to be interviewing Colin Cronin. Uh, Colin is 28 years old, currently working for PPG, which is a major paint manufacturer in the United States and internationally. Oh, come, wait a minute. He's got to be older than 20. 28. Did I say 20? Yes, you said 20. Oh, well, he's 28. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You know, you get what you ask for. I'm a stickler for details. Your current job title is strategic account sales rep, sales manager. Manager. Thank you. So can you tell us what that entails? That basically is providing trading and guidance for other sales reps calling on large commercial accounts. We call them strategic accounts than any account that has the wallet size uh, of half a million or more. Okay. And what is your area? Area is the West Zone, which for PPG is uh, Utah to Hawaii, basically. Okay. So you get to travel if you need to. And yeah. And you get a bunch of guys there that you get to meet. That's correct. Uh, you've been in the industry 10 years? Yes, sir. Well, let's talk a little bit about your career. You know, The purpose of this podcast is that we can introduce a lot of people to different ideas that maybe they're not aware of. Of course, there's project managers. There's a lot of different things. And we're going to talk to a bunch of them. But I always like to bring in somebody that might have a different idea or a different career track than some people would think of. And uh, sales and construction is something that there's always going to be salesmen. It's good for people to know that it exists and maybe what it entails some. Absolutely. So that being said, I guess, Colin, are you from Southern California? Uh, actually, originally from Fresno, just Central California. I moved down to San Diego when I was about 12 and then went to school up in Oregon and came back down to Southern California after that. Right, so you went to school at... University of Oregon. Oh, boy. Yeah, the ducks. He is a duck. Yeah. Not a beaver. <laughs> Not a beaver. Uh, what, what is it that you studied when you were in school? Uh, my major is in business administration with a concentration in finance. Okay, so you don't have a construction degree. No. no. And you're working a construction job. I'm working a construction job. So explain that one to us. How did that come about? When I was 18 in high school, I got a summer job in a paint store. And after that, I, uh, when I graduated, it was 2010, wasn't a ton of jobs available due to the uh, economic downturn. So what I had a, you know, going for me was that I had experience selling paint, and they hired me. So he really knows almost nothing about construction. <laughs> there you go. That is also correct. <laughs> he's, not, he's not denying that thing. He's, he's in the industry, right? But so there's room for everybody. What did you do when you worked in a paint store? You didn't have anything to do with sales. That's correct. So how did you make the transition? They identify a few people, you know, they being the company at the time was Frazee Paint in San Diego. It was a regional player in Southern California. But what they do is they, they look for people that have the aptitude to move on to something besides just being a clerk. You know, there's a fair amount of inside sales with that as well, where you have customers walking in on a daily basis and you are trying to sell them, you know, one thing or another. So if they have an aptitude for sales, they identify you and, and you know, kind of train you and take you to the next level. Okay. So... Are most store managers going to then move on to be sales reps? Not necessarily. Could be whatever it is that, that you're good at or excel exactly. at. Exactly. Play to people's strengths. So you graduated when? 2010. 
2010, right? Like you said, the middle of the economic downturn, mm. which is why he went back to selling paint. Exactly. Uh, you know, with construction as low as it was, that doesn't seem like it was the smartest choice, but it's done okay for you, huh? Well, at, at that time, it was probably more the upswing in things. You know, we'd already hit rock bottom probably 2008, so it was it was on the on the upswing. It was on its way back up. Yeah. Did you start as a salesman? I did, 2010, yeah. 2010, when you came back to the industry. That's correct. You know, you started off as a paint salesman. Right? Yep. Uh, was your area in Orange County? There's San the Diego. value of a college education. The value of An college. immediate promotion from store... Manager? Associate. Associate. Yeah. That's like, you know, like a Walmart guy. Yeah, <laughs> to, ba- basically to a, a Walmart guy. Yeah. Yeah, you go from like $12 an hour. There's nothing the wrong with being a career. Walmart guy. That's, uh, I mean, that, that could be on your construction careers podcast, too, if you get a degree in... Whatever you can be a Walmart. Do guy. they have a degree in Walmart? I'm sure they do. They, they just might. Maybe in Arkansas. Yeah. Finance. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. So you came out, made the jump to salesman. I mean, do they train you? How does that kind of work out? They they put you through a series of ride-alongs with experienced reps, and that usually goes over a couple of weeks. There's also a lot of modules you can do online. A lot of in-store training if you don't have experience in the industry. But yeah, it'll take a couple of weeks to train you up. Now, if it's somebody that doesn't have a college degree. But they've been in the industry. I mean, would they be just as apt to be picked as maybe someone with a degree? Or it depends on the company. Okay. Uh, for for the company I was working at, there was no stigma between having a college degree and not having a college degree. But for other companies, some of the larger Fortune 500 companies, they looked for people with degrees. Well, it, the reason I ask, I mean, I know a lot of people that maybe get burned out in the field. Yeah. Spend a lot of time doing PM, and they want to stay in the industry, but they're looking for something else to do. Uh, always possible that someone out of college that doesn't have a job or have any experience may be able to jump in and, and get a job in sales. Of your colleagues, how many of them have come from strong construction backgrounds? In other words, they worked in the field in one capacity or another and then transferred into sales? Very little. There are some that have experience, whether they came at, from painting contracting shops or estimators or PMs at that time, but that's very few and far between. In your experience... Is it doesn't matter? No, actually, some people with experience tend to do much better. They have a better understanding of what the product they're selling, and and therefore can relate to customers. Okay, but if, if you're just a great sales guy, you might go out and tear it up anyway, huh? Yeah, just yeah. depends on on the where you're at and what you're trying to sell. Exactly. <laughs> you said that there were ride-alongs for two weeks. How long do you think it took you before you felt as though you were really? On par with the people that have been there, let's say, four years. Oh, I, I always consider that a, a couple of years, you know, it, and that's probably for any job. You don't really have a true understanding until you've gone through just about everything. Well, what's the idea? You start off and you're underpaid, then for a while you're paid about what you're worth, and then after a while, like, you're probably not paid enough because, yeah. because you've moved past it in experience or whatever. I hope so, but I hope that's for every job. Now, with something like a sales rep, which is where you started off, just as a as an industry idea, what would a sales rep be looking to make? Right out of college? Right out of college or starting in as a sales rep. Is it Just give me a ballparks between X and Y. Probably depends on the region that you're in. Um, Southern California is probably being more expensive. Southern California would be more expensive. Northern California around the Bay Area is definitely going to be more expensive. Uh, middle of the country, not so much. So if you're looking for an average uh, middle of the country type job, probably starting out at somewhere around 40 to 50,000 a year. Okay. Plus benefit plus bonus if you hit your bonus. Usually plus there's a bonus incentive. Um, usually there's some type of car either a stipend or company car kind of thing. Okay. 
And that probably holds true in almost any industry. I mean, you're the paint guy, but I would imagine. Yeah, it's probably pretty fair. So you started off with a regional manufacturer. That's correct. And you've transitioned to a... Multinational. A multinational firm. Yep. Contrast the, the two organizations. Uh, I mean, it's night and day, really. There's, uh, regional players tend to have a little more control because they have local ownership or management involved in day-to-day business. National companies like a PPG or a Sherwin-Williams tend to not have that much control because they're based in the middle of the country and have to rely on regional management to, to dictate down their vision for that, that region. So it, there tends to be that disconnect. When you say control, do you mean you feel less immediate control on your performance or your activities with the international, with the, with the large multinational firm than you had with the regional firm? Yeah, absolutely. And what I mean by that is that with a regional, a local sales rep could be identified as someone that's valuable to the company. And, and I don't mean that in any indictment towards a PPG or Sherwin-Williams necessarily. It's you have less ability to, to be seen as, a, as an asset to a company because you're out. You small know, fish in a big s- pond. Small fish in a big pond, exactly. One of ma- very many. Culture-wise, I mean, is the culture different in a smaller company than it is in a bigger company? Yeah, because a, a smaller company tends to be more like a family. Again, you, you have the ability to go knock on the owner's door versus a multinational like Sherwin-Williams or PPG that are publicly traded. They might be across country or in another country, depending on where you're working. Exactly, yeah. And their door might be closed. And, they <laughs> and their door might be closed. They might have a so door. There's a three-hour time difference, too. So. <laughs> Bad dogs. So, that you don't have, so they don't give you the cell phone number for the, the, <laughs> the president of the company most of the time. Not usually. So what does your day entail? I mean, you're now the regional strategic account sales manager. Most days entail ride-alongs with uh, local reps, seeing these larger accounts, and w- those ride-alongs tend to entail some type of uh, entertainment, so golfing, dinners, lunches, fishing, that kind of thing. Well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, you're a recreational therapist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if you had a degree in recreational therapy, <laughs> you'd be set. How much of your job is dependent on the fact that you're personable and a likable guy versus expertise in the products you're selling? Probably about 80-20. 80 is the personality thing, and yeah. 20 would be actually the knowledge and whatnot. Absolutely, yeah. Because usually if you're a salesperson, you're selling something that works. So the product should dictate you know, a little bit of, of whether or not you can sell it. It's like selling a Toyota versus selling you know, some... 20-year-old car that may, may or may not work. Gotcha. It's, uh, if, it, if the product works, it tends to sell itself, and so it's your job to get the, the product into the hands of the people that will use it. And, and paint tends to be almost a commodity. Yes, usually. How did you move from sales rep to strategic account manager? I mean, if you had to really sit down and think about how you went from one to the other, is that something you planned, or is it something that came about? Uh, I, I'd say it came about more than it was planned. The plan has always been to uh, to look to better myself after a number of years. I've been with PPG for almost three years now, so and about a year and a half before I took this new role. I had outperformed in my first year and a half, and they looked at that and said, hey, we, we need you know someone in this role, and they asked me to, to take a look at it. So Outperformed? Outperformed people in the same position or outperformed expectations? Outperformed expectations. And, therefore, 
other people as well. So you went from being, again, a small fish in a big pond to a little bigger fish in a big pond. Basically. My next question then, I guess, would be uh, your work life. I mean, give us an idea of you know, how many hours a day do you work? People have this idea of construction. Now I can go in and be a nine to five or blah, 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 blah. And then they kind of find the reality is that you might be working from sun up to sundown and longer sometimes. Are you talking about work-life balance? Work-life balance. There oh, we go. Yeah. That's a good term. <laughs> um, actually depends on the day for me. There are some days where you could start with a conference call since we are an East Coast-based company at 5 a.m. Western Coast, West Coast time. Um, and there are nights where you'll end up you know, having dinner with the customer or entertaining towards 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, it could be very long days. It could be, you know, your, your regular days where you can work from home in the morning and, and uh, you know, enjoy your coffee while sending out some emails until 9 a.m. or so. Would you say your new position is more flexible than the average sales rep or does it tend to be about the same? I think it, it, I think it tends to be about the same. That work-life balance is kind of a, a misnomer because it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, people say work-life balance as if you know, you're supposed to tell them, oh, hey, it's a nine to five and that's it. it. You really get out of work what you put into it. So if you're willing to put in the hours and the time and effort it takes to be successful, maybe that is the balance you're looking for. You know, for, for me, uh, it's, it's always been whatever it takes to be successful. And if you could get it in a, done in a short amount of time, that's a, that's, a, that's a great balance. So So now that you're managing sales representatives, how many of the representatives that you manage do you think are working 40 hours a week? And I'm saying that that I presume they're all working 40 hours a week, but some of them are working more. Some of them are working more, and some of them work more efficiently. Work smarter, not harder? Yeah, you, you don't have to necessarily work more than 40 hours to be successful as a salesman because it's, it's more about the quality of time that you put in with your customers than it is the amount of time. There's a great book called The 80-20 Principle. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of the name of the author. I'll have to post it when we get the show notes together. But uh, he's a mar- it's a marketing book. It's really what it is. guy does Facebook marketing. He was one of the big wigs in Facebook marketing. And AdWords when it first came out on the Internet. And he, you know, his big principle is it's the 80-20. You, know, you always hear 80% of your customers take 20% of your time and 20% of your customers take 80% of your time. Well, he says that that holds true in any f- anything in life. Absolutely. Whereas you might have you know, the 20% of your customers as a sales rep that actually would make up the 80% of your revenue, you know, those are the guys that you want to be chasing versus the the 20% that make the 80% of your revenue. You know, those are the guys that you should be chasing mm-hmm. versus the, the, there may be a lot more of the other ones and they're small, but if you can land the one or two accounts that can produce more than 10 or 12 other small accounts, you know, that kind of where you should apply your time best used. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the identification of, of those different categories, weeding out which which customer has the opportunity or the possibility of becoming part of your 80% revenue, that's something you learn over time as, as your sales rep, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's always a funnel, too. So you're going to have accounts that fall out the bottom of the funnel, so you have to be constantly replacing them with people on top. Attrition? What's the, what's the term? Attrition? Yeah, attrition. And it's every sales rep that I've sp- spoken to, they, they lose people all the time. So you lose people all the time. How often do you lose part of the 20%? I'd say it depends on what the company's focus is. So if you are a successful company and you understand that 80-20 rule and you understand where your bread is buttered, then your hope is that any time you have a 
a large customer in currently buying from you, you don't lose that customer. It has happened before. It's you know it's happened to me. Any industry. Any yeah. industry. Yeah. But but the hope is that you identify who those large customers are, and that's actually part of my job too in working with these large strategic accounts is to focus on these accounts so that if we were to lose reps to the competition or some other people were to you know leave our company that they had uh, relationships with, that I can continue to maintain that relationship in the interim. Well, I, I remember when we when I had my own company, you know that was one of the big things is. We had these guys that were always, they always kept us busy. Mm-hmm. And we would do work for them. We'd bend over backwards, bend over backwards. Finally, we talked to one guy and he said, look, you have to audit your customers like you do anything else. Because you may, they have, you may have this customer that will keep you busy all the time, but if they don't make you any money, you're passing up on jobs that you could make money because here you are doing this work that's not, not worth having almost. Right. You know? And so what do you do? Then you raise your prices to that customer, see how it levels out, and, and away you go. But uh, I mean, what Doug? Doug's got that. What's his big thing about the three G's? Good people, good money, good. Do you remember what that is? Doug, the the president of the company, Cliff's brother, uh, has some mantra, and I'm gonna have to post that in the show notes because for the life of me, I can't remember what it is. But it's kind of the same idea, you know. You identify those that are worth working for, and and that's how it is. Yeah, I think right it. now we've got like three big contractors that we love to do work for uh, more than any of the other ones, as it's maybe as it stands. You know, and so if just because they're easy to work with, for the most part, not every project, but you know they've been good customers and they they give us work and we can make money and no, we earned their work. That's true. <laughs> it's something that we did. We did earn the work, and uh, we have built a relationship with them. I mean, honestly, construction, in my opinion, and you guys need to chime in on this. You know, a lot of it's about relationships. You know, where do you start and how do you go and who, who do you know? Um, networking is obviously important. I mean, in your position now, do you feel that networking is something that everybody needs to understand? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh, the, the larger company you have, the more networking you need to do. Uh, the only way you're going to get recognized in a company like PPG that has 45,000 employees is being, making yourself available to the people that can make those decisions. So, like I said, small fish, big pond, you're not going to get recognized unless you do something to make your side rec- recognizable. And, you know, therefore you have to network with the larger people when you have those opportunities. Thoughts, Cliff? You're, you look real pensive. Well, the, 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 the term networking is... It's a podcast, you can't see him. Sort of outside my <laughs> area zone? of... Yeah, outside my comfort zone. However, though, I was just speaking with a friend two weeks ago who's in a different industry. And... Um, he's been looking for a job since June, which is, that's a long time, and he's got a lot of expertise. He's been he's been in this craft. He's a, he's a helicopter pilot, and he's been doing this for thirty years. He's won a couple of Emmys. He, he's done a lot of stuff, and he can't find a job. And I told him, I said, "Well, how much are you networking?" And I said, "You need to like really start connecting with the people that you know, because he knows a lot of people." But he's not working those connections, which is really what networking is. It isn't necessarily having a vast network, but the more people that you do network, then the closer you are to someone you don't know. Yeah, and and I'll say that for people that we do hire, it really helps if you have someone that you know has a relationship with us that can speak highly for you. So if you're if you're looking to have a job with PPG, the best thing you could do is know someone within PPG that can say a good word for you because your name will go top to the list. 
and that you know same with us i mean when we hire a painter that's oh you you know so and so or someone recommended you and away you go yeah. i mean typically you're going to look for the the lowest hanging fruit when it comes time to absolutely to fill us fill a spot or do whatever you can so if anyone out there is looking to maybe follow in your footsteps you know they're deciding they, they want to be a salesman they want to do something like this you know would you have any advice for someone like that you know there's this this mantra about being a salesman and, and maybe nobody wants to do that but I know there's a lot of guys that can do fairly well, and maybe they have it in them. It's something they really are driven to do. Well, I'd, I'd say that, you know, in my experience, the the best salespeople are the people that don't actually sell. You know, salespeople are slimy. You, you, you get, you know, used car salesmen, car dealer, those kind of places. Those are salesmen. What, what I do and what, you know, people should look to do as salesmen is build relationships because people actually buy from their friends. They don't buy from some guy who's trying to win something over on them and trying to screw them on anything. That's that's a one and done sale. You'll never hear from that guy again. You don't want to hear from that guy again. So build relationships with your customers. Truly care about your customers because they're the ones putting food on your table. If you're making commission or you're making bonuses off of someone, you're not trying to screw them because you're trying to build a relationship with them so that they can be successful, you can be successful, and you all make a little bit of money. I will say that if they want to follow my footsteps, and become a paint salesman. One of my bosses, my first ever sales rep boss, sales manager, told me that paint is not sexy. You will never get laid telling a girl that <laughs> you're, you, a paint you're a paint salesman. And he was absolutely right. So, But I will say that it's a good way to make a living. And if you're okay with the stigma of being of going into a party when you're a young millennial and your friends are out of work or they're in work and they tell you some fancy title that they're doing, even though you know they don't make any money, but hey, they, they sound cool saying it, and you, you walk up to them and say, hey, I'm a paint salesman, you gotta be confident in the fact that you're making more money than they are, and be confident in yourself. Okay, so sales. I mean, there's always gonna be, as long as there's construction, there's gonna be a need for salesmen. Absolutely. And uh, if you've got the person, you know, sounds like personality and, and drive could be the majority of the necessity, because you can learn the other stuff. Absolutely. Although I will say this about Colin. He's probably one of our more learned salesmen that we deal with. Because in all honesty, while you may not always have the answer, you work on finding the answer versus a lot of other guys that may just spit out BS and yeah, hope that it flies. That's probably part of that 80-20 as well. I mean, 20% knowledge because you don't need to have a knowledge, especially in a big company. Someone's going to be able to back you up, and someone will have that answer. The idea of relationships, I like to tell this story. This is years ago before we had Internet, and we could look up things, you know. Immediately. We had catalogs, and a salesman came in one day, and he had his catalog, and he hadn't called on me before, and he, so he's, he wants to make his sales pitch. And I was abrupt then as I am now, and I said, well, okay, this paint's all the same. You have one thing in your catalog that's better than everybody else's. What is that? Tell me what it is, and then get the hell out of my office because, it, you know, I don't have time to chit-chat. And he sort of looked at me and I said, but remember, I only buy paint from people I know. And it was like, you could see this mystified look on his face because you just told me to get out of your office and then you told me you only buy paint from people you know. And I said, that's your job, to figure out how you get to know me, all right, so that you can sell me paint. Really, that's the key thing for a salesman is how do you build that relationship? How do you engender trust and 
some sort of friendship or some sort of relationship or respect so that the guy when you come in this guy's like oh good this this guy has something to offer yeah and, and cliff would you say that most salesmen if you're you know you could be honest on this or blunt whatever you want to say uh they're a waste of your time when they come into your office they kill time for your estimators your project managers that kind of thing so so unless they're bringing something to the table or they're a welcome guest in your office then they uh, don't belong there that's <laughs> somebody comes to mind um but it, you've hit it some people are welcome guests they're not bringing us a lot of product or useful information but they're a welcome guest they're there was a salesperson that used to call on us, and we hired him at one point. And every time he came in, he brought something, right? He, he was new to the industry. This stuff, he found all this stuff fascinating. Some of it was ludicrous, but he found it fascinating. But he brought something every time he came in. Some guy who walks in and doesn't bring anything at all, you just like, yeah, you're wasting my time. And some of them are sharp enough to know, well, I'm not really hitting it off with these people, and I don't have anything to do, but I have to keep my face in front of him. So he comes in, he's really gracious, he says hello, and he gets out quick, and you remember that guy, too. Too big to ignore. What was that story? Yeah, yeah. The company I used to work for, really successful salesman, called on this company once a year. And I was just like, I said, Dave, why didn't you never come around? He goes, because I'm not going to sell any paint here. But this company is too big to ignore. I gotta come in, even if I get kicked, I have to come in here once or twice a year just because you're too big to ignore. Are, would you say on the whole, you know, as a, as a salesman or someone that's been in sales, are some of your customers better than others? Not sure how to answer that because I already <laughs> put my name out there. Right, that's true. But, uh, you know, it's with anything. Like, like we've talked about, we've got certain contractors that, that are require less of your time and less of your energy than, than others. And the, the payoff may be bigger. Uh, I'd say there are customers that are easier to do business with than others. There you go. Oh, I don't safe, know if I safe say answer. That's good safe better, answer. But yes. Okay. Uh, so that's something that would help to identify those and, and be able to, to pursue that. It, and everyone's going to have different types of relationships. And, and, and you might not hit off as well with some customer as someone else might. And so they might find that customer easier to do business with than I would. So uh, as a salesperson, you've got to f be true to who you are and find customers that are like-minded to you. Well, it's only Nixon could go to China. Um, the idea that, yeah, maybe your personality will hit and maybe it won't. And do you pursue a company when, when that's, there's not that mesh there? I mean, what, what's, your, what's your advice to someone who finds himself in that position? Well, if you have a diversified sales team, you might find someone that can, that can work that account better. So you always got to remember that the sum of all parts is better than you as a single More entity. More important than, the, whole, than yeah. the individual. Exactly. So so if uh, if PPG has a diversified sales team and there's someone that you know might be able to call on that account better than you can, it's probably better that they handle it because, quite honestly, you're not going to sell much to them. Um, you are going to have to put in that time to figure that out, though, and it may only be the first couple of times where you do get kicked, but maybe on the fourth or fifth time you show up, you start hitting, them off, hitting it off of them. You know, we have we've discarded salespeople from from companies that they just didn't do it for us. There was, was there was nothing wrong with them. They just 
didn't mesh with us. Right before so. I got here, there was one. Cliff told me to get out of his office. If you ever saw him again, he'd throw him over the fence or something. Oh, yeah, but he earned that. <laughs> that was from that was because he didn't do his job. There are people that have come in and they've tried to do their job, but they just don't really ever mesh with anybody in the company. And, and the company I'm thinking about is they're like our most favorite company historically. And so we have these tight bonds and you finally have to go to the to the vice president of the company and go you know hey you know this guy just doesn't we're, we're just not hitting it off with this guy you, you need to send somebody else over here because we want to keep buying your paint but we want a salesman that we're happy to see and, and that's the customer's right too so it shouldn't be taken personally it by a salesperson you know there's always going to be relationships that you don't have or you like you just said, you may or may not hit it off with them, and if you don't take it, per- don't take it personally. You know, it's it's okay. It's not everyone's like gonna like dating. you. It's like dating. The hot girl's not always gonna like you. So, if you're a company owner, don't be a girl. Just say I don't like you. Okay? There you go. Be, be direct, huh? Don't play head games. So, anyone you know in your in, in your industry, I guess, is there any software? Let's say someone's going to school, or they're looking to maybe p- pursue this job. Is there anything out of the ordinary, like Word, Excel, that kind of stuff, that would be useful to them? Oh, you you definitely have to have an understanding of all the Office products, Microsoft. You'll use that on a daily basis. I I'd, I'd say that I'd imagine most of your software is proprietary. I- exactly. Like, mo- that's mo- something they would learn when they. That's correct. Get in that's the- correct. Uh, Sherwin Williams has their own proprietary software. PPG has their own as well. I would say just about every sales or building industry sales company is going to have their own variation of their own software. When you say that, is that software that keeps track of the customers like ACT or whatever the software is? Yeah, they'll they'll have one of those, uh, kind of a Salesforce type thing, but they'll also have, you know, more internal type software that you'll have access to as well. Secret stuff. There you go. We're learning all the secrets. Secret stuff that does what? Who knows? I mean, I mean, is it is it is it a database of customers and and purchases, or is it, or is it, uh, what what could they possibly have that's like a secret? Well, it wouldn't be much of a secret if I told you, would it? Well, you think about it; it's probably just the way that uh, more than anything, it's probably the way that you would do something. Yeah. Like their system's going to be different than Sherman Williams, going to be different than Dunnetter is going to be different than somebody else. And uh, yeah, well, it ain't that much different. Well, yeah, but there, there's also something you said to having the uh, the wherewithal to be able to learn something on a computer. Nowadays, you're going to have a lot of salesmen that are in their late 50s, 60s kind of thing, and they have trouble with some of the software we use. And uh, you know, that's that's just a sign of the times that you're going to have to become more and more computer literate as time goes on. Comment I've made to to, to PPG. Mm-hmm. It's like if you want to sell paint. You should have a really, really slick website. Absolutely. One that's very easy to use. Absolutely. Because it, 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 when you see the differences, the ones that are easy to use, and then you have to go fight with one, like PPGs. <laughs> well, and, and hopefully it won't be long before uh, e-commerce comes, you know, comes to the table with a lot of this stuff. You should be able to, pretty soon, order a lot of your items online and have it delivered same day next day you know, from a local warehouse. There's, it's, it's no different. Like you said, it's a commodity. So yeah, when you're ready to start doing your orders and stuff online, they'll be rocking and rolling. You'll be able to look and see inventory and see what you can get where. So, I'm, I'm, wondering, if, I'm wondering if a business would forego purchase orders then. 
Or, mean? well, it might just take a step out of a purchase order. As you ordered online, it would become a purchase order? Yeah. You know, you could check the boxes for the stuff you need, search the products you want, find the ones that you want, submit the order, and then, you know, if there was a way it could talk to your accounting system to insert it into your system as a purchase order, that would be great. If not, you'd likely have to go and enter that same information. I ordered something today, and the supplier said, I said, well, I'm going to send you <laughs> a purchase order electronically. Can I email it to you? So what you, I, need, I need your email address. And he goes, oh, 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 oh. you can fax it to me. <laughs> I laughed at him. It's like, no, no. I want to send it. Yeah. yeah. I was, no, everyone just faxes the order stuff. So I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> the fax guys, do you have a computer? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm typing on a computer right now. <laughs> but I don't get email. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah. So we, we, we try to at least be a little ahead of the game in that aspect. Of it, it's better for us. It's better for them. But eventually, I think it's going to have to come around to that. I would hope so. Make so, things a lot easier. So that's why when you mentioned, you know, just ordering online, it's like, well, somehow or another, you have to work that purchase order in. You just can't go and order a bunch of stuff. That's you correct. Know, it, has yeah. to, it has to turn into a purchase order that gets job costs and so forth. Yeah. And I would say it probably It's not like shopping at Amazon. Right. It probably depends on, on the type of company that you run. Because a small company where the owner's doing something and might have somebody on another job, you know, they don't have a whole lot of time in the office. They might want to make it easy with someone they trust to be able to put together an order and get the stuff they need on a separate job. Now, you that could easily get out of hand, and especially when you start getting into big, large-scale company. But uh, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of where it goes in the future. I don't think anyone's ahead of the game yet from what we've seen. And it'll be interesting, you know, my thoughts as to how it should work and how it's actually going to work are probably going to be two completely different things. And the big issue that I see with anything is is how do you get people to adapt to that? You know, if we're trying to make some change in the industry, well, it better be damn good. Well, the, the, industri people are gonna jump on it. the industry's going to have to change because of the cost of materials. So, you know, the, uh, the current standard where you have a paint store on every corner and therefore a rent and labor for every one of those stores drives up the cost of the material. So eventually it's going to become too expensive for contractors to purchase and the ones that are lean and do have these e-commerce type abilities are the ones that are going to be able to succeed. So I think it's just going to be a matter of time before that works itself out. I'm thinking about the discussion we had about companies having like boutique shops in stores inside of big box stores like Lowe's and Home Depot. Right. And the necessity of of the manufacturers to still have independent outlets, otherwise they get owned by Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's and so forth. So what you're sort of suggesting is that they're gonna replace that bricks and that standalone bricks and mortar store with e commerce. Well, if, if they're the ones doing delivery, you know, for instance, let's say they had a warehouse. And this is something we've seen with Bear, that Bear was really trying to, to understand. They said. Rather than have a store, you well, know. Well, they were inside. They would have like a, yeah, they, they're inside a Home Depot. Yeah. But in the same vein, like, they would have like a distribution center. Yeah, region distribution. Yeah. yeah, and so you would put in an order, and they would try to fill it from the distribution center and deliver it to the job site or deliver it to the shop or wherever it would be. And and that's that's a hard sell to a lot of old guys, you know, older older companies that aren't used to that. And then their turnaround has to be a little quicker. 
Sure, but do you think that's the case just because that's the current model? And like I said, eventually prices and materials are going to continue to go up with labor increasing, especially in California, um, and you've got your rent increasing year over year. Eventually, the cost of having that brick-and-mortar store on the corner is going to price itself it's out. It's going to price itself out, whereas yeah. someone like a bear who you know continues to push it, their model might win out. Eventually, so, yeah. Yeah, that I could see that being in the future. You as the contractor probably don't have to make that decision right now, but something to be aware of five, ten years from now. So what's the role of the sales rep going to be in that environment? Just someone who's going to facilitate them using the Internet? What's the difference between using the Internet now and having one of your guys go to the paint store? Paint store is about the same distance away. So you could go to a PPG store or a Sherwin-Williams store. Yes. takes about the same time. takes about the same amount of effort. So the role of the salesman, in my opinion, is to, yes, build that relationship with a decision maker so that he can say PPG or Sherwin-Williams or Bear or whoever. And it's also going to be who do you trust to help facilitate that job and who's going to make you the most money in the end because you're using a quality product, you're working with a quality company who's going to stand by you and be a true business partner. Yeah, I didn't understand your question at first, but now, now I understand what you're basically saying is that sales rep will have the same job he has now. That's correct. It's just... He's going to select, he's, the salesman is there to help to facilitate his companies being selected by that contractor or that user. Right. And how that order eventually gets placed and filled, that's not really his worry. It's building that relationship and making his company the choice. Exactly. Well, and I've always said, and I've been shut down for this many times, and I've told Colin, and I've actually spoken with Cliff about it, and we don't necessarily see eye to eye on it, but one of these companies is eventually going to hit on a way that's going to make it really easy to do a lot of this stuff. You know, as a big company, one of the things that we rely on is having a log of what we've bought, when we've bought it. Every year, we know how much product we've gone through. And I think a lot of these smaller companies, that's something that they either learn in a good way so that they continue to stay in business or they learn a bad way because it puts them out. They never had an idea what it is they were running. And eventually some company in any industry is going to come up with an easy way to maybe offer some of those tools to some of these contractors. And uh, then what's the sales job? The sales rep's job is to go out and train them into, oh, this is how you do this and this is how you do that. And if you're going to buy this from us, why don't you buy these other things from us? And then it just becomes an upsell of all the different things that, that you could offer them. And, and now we're invested in this system because it was offered to us, it was made available to us. And and why are you going to switch? You know, all the time and effort that's going to go into to doing something different, it's going to come down to who can make it the easiest. Absolutely. And that's that's you know, the job of any sales rep is to prove that his company is the path of least resistance. So, you know, it, you're choosing to do business with me. I want that to make it worth your most efficient time and make you as much money as possible. If I cost you time and money, I'm not doing my job. When I worked at another company, we had a marketing guy, and he led me to this statement. It was like, we always want to make our company the customer's first choice. And in developing our core strategies, that's all the strategies lead up to making us the customer's first choice and that's what that's what the salesman's job is exactly. no matter how the product gets delivered that's correct you know we're delivering a service you're delivering a product a, a commodity and it's still the same thing mm -hmm. and for everybody in an organization 
they have that role of making their organization the customer's first choice. Whether it's the guy pulling buckets out of the back of the store, or my guy who's applying paint, or us offering price proposals, everyone has the same job. It all leads to the same goal. It all leads to the same goal. And, and it's interesting to see, like, because that's, a, I mean, in, in reality, you could look at, you know, even a service industry like painting is could be similar to a commodity in the fact that there's others out there that can do it. So what do we bring to the table that's different, you know? And, and with, I, I'm always going to go back to the big project we just did in San Diego when we redid Salk Institute. There was, it's a big deal. I mean, that's a big deal to us. You know, why were we chosen over some other people? I, I don't know that our price was any better or any worse, but you know, there was there was a lot that I really believe Cliff brought to the table as having a degree in architecture. <laughs> like, you know, it's interesting when you talk to people. And I, t- I tell people this now. It's like when I find out someone's an architect, and I can say, "Oh, well, have you ever heard of Salk?" And their eyes light up. You know, it's like the mecca for architects. But uh, but that I definitely believe that played played a role. You know, well, it may. Have- it may have been that I recognized sort of the importance of the project and I projected that this is an important project Mm -hmm. and some other people may not have had that sort of recognition of what a big deal it was to be working at this place okay but we also had an existing relationship with the contractor that we worked for and they had already learned in multiple instances where they could rely on us. And the and, quality work you do. And the contractors that we have good relationships with, it's because, I believe it's because they know that we do what we say we're going to do. Just bottom line, and, and there was an instance where we were working on something and it took us multiple attempts to get this thing to where it was supposed to be, and a superintendent said, boy, you guys really stuck with this. It's just amazing. I've said, well, that's just our job. And he goes, you don't know how many people don't realize that's their job, is to make, complete it. Do do what you have to do to get the job done. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just recently read a book, and this would be a good suggestion. It's not even really a book. It's more of an essay. It's called As a Man Thinketh. And it's maybe... 12 pages it's not a, not very big but it was written back in like the early 1900s maybe even the 1800s and there's been a lot of talk about it one of the things that I find interesting is it goes um, it was pre-depression era and so there's a lot of these ideas that you know it's more you know there I wouldn't say it's a religious book but there's definitely some religious tone to it um, but one of the things that he hits on is it's you know as as you think it's what you get type of deal and there's a lot of these principles that I believe we're coming back around to. And the one that stuck with me that I read on there is it's, it's kind of this idea that you get what you are. And so, you know, if you're honest, and you're hardworking, and you do all of these things, you tend to attract the same type of people. And uh, we do what we say we're going to do, and we have some of these good relationships with contractors that we've established that kind of gravitate towards that. And, uh, and honestly, I, like, I believe that's one of those timeless principles that regardless of what industry you're in, you know, if you strive to, to f- be a principled entity or a principled person, like, you'll attract that same kind of stuff. If you lie and you cheat and you do whatever, like, you see where that gets you. You end up well, in a lot of those And jobs. we also avoid those people. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you're going you're gonna to attract yourself and be attracted to others of your same type. So, 
That being said, Colin, do you have any 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 parting advice you'd love to give people? Really consider a job in sales. I mean, it's not for everybody, I'm sure. Absolutely, but it also doesn't, to me, doesn't have the negative stigma. And and for a lot of people, I think that's the hard part to get over. When they graduate you know, from college, you'll have some fancy degree, and you look at yourself and say, I, I'm not a salesman, I'm above that. I'm gonna be whatever. To be honest, the most money to be had is usually in sales. So if you're comfortable with who you are, you can make a good living. One of the books that I'd like to recommend is uh, The Millionaire Next Door. And basically what that... Oh, that's the guy that lives in Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your neighbor. Which one? That's, that's everyone. On which side? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but basically what the book's all about is that, you know, the guy who may be driving kind of a beat-up car, 10 years old, uh, you know, wears shorts and clothes that look like, you know, he may may not uh, shop at Nordstrom's or Macy's or anything like that, like shops at the thrift store. He he probably has a good amount of money, uh, and, but he, like again, it goes to my prior point that he might not have done anything sexy in his life. He might not be a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, but he might have worked his ass off and gotten to a point where he is a millionaire. So, you know, it's okay to be that guy too. It's well, okay who is to it, the, the owner of Ikea that rides the bus to work and he drives like a 1960s Volvo? I want to say he's like a billionaire, mm-hmm. and you would never know it. Well, of course he drives a Volvo. Saab <laughs> <laughs> went out of business. Scandinavian. <laughs> we really need to consider doing a, a car podcast. I mean, that's all I'm going to say. I've thought about this as we if we put this together. Cars, Cliff and Kent. Cars, Cliff and Kent. That, I'm going to I'm going to register that. There that domain go. is mine. <laughs> but. Uh, well, Colin, we thank you for coming on. Uh, if there's anyone that's interested in, in getting a hold of you, following your career, kind of see where you end up, do you have like, are you on LinkedIn? Is there anywhere they can look you up? I am on LinkedIn, and I'll let you put that in the uh, the, the notes. Show notes? Okay. We can, we can add the address so you can kind of follow and see where you go. Great. Well, Thank you for having me. Hey, you're welcome. We, we enjoy having you here. We enjoy uh, seeing you when you come in. You know, we've got that relationship, and that's something that we've built. Yeah, you're a welcome guest. Welcome guest. Because he obviously doesn't bring much to the table. <laughs> we have yet we have to see a box of donuts, huh? A, the conversations we've had spanned a vast array of subjects. Yeah, not just paint and not just construction. And that's good, you know. And, 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 it, and it's interesting to note that Colin is one of those reps that we hang out with outside of work. Exactly. You know, and, that's, and, and that says a lot. I don't think he wouldn't have to do that if he didn't want to. And neither would we. So. That's true. Well, I'm looking around and I'm trying to think if, if there's ever been another rep that I hung out with outside of work. There have been. Very, very few. Maybe not as regular. Yeah. Dave yeah. Gaysford, you know. Can't think of another one. So, well, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, this will be one of the episodes. I can't say what number it's going to be, but we'll figure it out when we get it up online. And uh, always come back if you want to log on and give us a good review on iTunes. That would always help. Uh, so that we can move up the list. And if you do have any ideas of guests or would like to be on the show, please send us an email. Uh, Visit us at theconstructioncareerpodcast.com, and uh, we will go from there. Until next time. Thanks, Colin. (laughs) 